Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the book of Proverbs by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 9. Words of Truth. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you? Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21, New King James Version. Some of this exploration's proverbs will show parallels with Egyptian texts. Under inspiration, Solomon might have shaped these texts according to a specifically Hebrew perspective. When we hear his proverbs, the words of the Egyptians meet the spirit of Israel's God, and thus they became divine revelation. This observation is important for it reminds us of the universal character of truth. What is truth for the Israelite should also be true for the Egyptian, otherwise it would not be the truth. Some truths apply universally to everyone. The domain of these admonitions is common to both communities. That is, whoever you are, whether a believer or not, and wherever you live, there are some things that you should not do. The Knowledge of Truth Let's listen to Proverbs 22, verse 17 and 18. Bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall withal be fitted in thy lips. What are you being told about how truth should impact your life? The first duty of the student is to listen and pay attention. Incline your ear and hear. Verse 17. In other words, concentrate. The crucial point is that the seeker of truth must be earnest, must truly want to learn what is right and then do it. But it is not enough for the student to listen or even to understand intellectually what is being taught. Some people who have a lot of biblical facts in their heads have no real knowledge or experience with the truth itself as Jesus said that he was the source of life experience, John 14, 6. Instead, truth should reach the innermost part of the human being. The Hebrew phrase in Proverbs 22, verse 18, within you, New King James Version, refers to the stomach. The lesson should not stay on the surface. It has to be digested, assimilated, and become an inner part of our beings. Once the message has gone deep into our system and becomes rooted within us, it will then rise to our lips, and we can have a powerful testimony. Now let's add Proverbs 22, verses 19 through 21, asking, what might an experience in truth do for us? Number 1. Faith. Verse 19. The first goal of the teaching of wisdom is not wisdom per se. Proverbs does not aim at making more intelligent and more skillful disciples. The teacher's objective is to strengthen the disciples' trust in the Lord. 2. Conviction. Verse 21. 
students should know why these words of truth, New King James Version, are certain. They should know why they believe what they do. Faith, by definition, is belief in what we don't fully understand. Nevertheless, we still should have good reasons for that faith. Number 3. Responsibility Verse 21 The last step of education is to share with others those words of truth we have received. New King James Version This is central to our whole calling as a people. Take a few moments to think about how logical is your faith. Can you explain the reasons why you believe what you believe? What are the logical reasons for your beliefs? Do you feel compelled to share your beliefs with your friends and family, whether they are your immediate or distant family? What's your persuasive angle or strategy? Robbing the poor. What is the warning in these verses? Proverbs 22 verses 22 and 23 say, Rob not the poor, because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoil them. Proverbs 23 verse 10 says, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. What is the combined warning repeated in both texts? Though it's always wrong to steal, this prohibition concerns stealing from the poor and the oppressed, who are the most vulnerable. They are truly helpless, and therefore they qualify for God's special concern, as the Israelites were instructed, found in Exodus 22, verses 21-27. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger, nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an user, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, Thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down. For that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass, when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. The case of David, who killed Uriah in order to steal his wife, and Nathan's parable of the ewe lamb, 2 Samuel 12 verses 1 through 4, come to mind. Robbing from the poor is not just a criminal act. Second Samuel 12 verse 13 tells us, It is a sin against the Lord. To take from someone who has less than what you have is worse than stealing. It is also an act of cowardice. Do these thieves think God doesn't see their actions? Indeed, Proverbs 22.23 in saying, If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, implies that even if the thief gets away with no human punishment, God will repay. The reference to the Redeemer, the Goel, Proverbs 23, 11, may even allude to the divine scenario of end-time judgment, 
Job 19.25. So this warning, along with others in the Bible, speaks against those who are interested only in the immediate gains of their actions, and not the long-term results. They take possession and enlarge their properties at the expense of others, and they are willing to cheat and to kill for that purpose. They may enjoy it now, but they will pay later. This reasoning should not only discourage the thief, it should show that our ethical values are intricately tied to the sovereignty of God. In England, some atheists had the following slogan placed on city buses. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Though there are many retorts one could give in response, think about this one. If there were no God, then those who steal from the poor and are getting away with it now really have nothing to worry about. Indeed, all those who have done great evil and seem to have gotten away with it will, in fact, have really gotten away with it. Does your faith in God and in His promises of judgment help give you peace of mind regarding all the injustice you see in the world now? Jealous of the Wicked Proverbs 23 verse 17 says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Proverbs 2 verses 1 and 2 say, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. And Proverbs 24 verses 19 and 20 say, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Why would someone envy the wicked? Most likely it's not because of the actual sins that they might be committing. Rather, it's usually because of the immediate gain, wealth, success, and power that they achieve through their wickedness. That's what people often covet for themselves. Though, of course, not every successful or rich person is wicked. Some are, and they are probably the kind of people we are being warned about in these verses. We see their good life, and from our perspective, especially if we are struggling ourselves, it's easy to envy what they have. This, though, is a very narrow and short-sighted view of things. After all, the temptation of sin is that its reward is immediate, we enjoy the present gratification. A perspective beyond the present can protect us from temptation. That is, we need to look beyond the immediate gains of our sin and think through the long-term consequences. Besides, who hasn't seen just how destructive sin is? We never get away with it. We might be able to hide it from others so no one, even those closest to us, has a clue about what we are doing, though sooner or later they catch on. Or we might be able to delude ourselves into thinking that our sins are not that bad. After all, look at how many people do worse things. But sooner or later, one way or another, 
sin catches up with us. We should hate sin because it is sin. We should hate it because of what it has done to us, to our world, and to our Lord. If we want to see the real cost of sin, look at Jesus on the cross. This is what our sin has cost. That realization alone should be enough, though so often it isn't, to make us want to avoid sin and to keep away as much as possible from those who could lead us into it. Have you ever struggled with envy over someone's success? What does the Bible say is the best remedy for the spiritually deadly problem? Let's listen to Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we put in our mouths. It is no accident that the first human temptation concerned food, Genesis 3.3. It was by being disobedient and eating of the wrong thing that brought sin and death into the world. We shouldn't miss the hard fact, too, that the first mention of wine drinking in the Bible is presented in a terribly negative and degrading story, referring to Noah in Genesis 9.21. And he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. Here's another reference in Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. How is the use of alcohol presented in these verses? Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Who hasn't seen, personally, just how devastating alcohol can be? Sure, not everyone who drinks becomes a drunk in the gutter, but most likely drunks in the gutter never imagined, the first time they took a drink, that they would eventually wind up in the gutter. The man who has formed the habit of drinking intoxicating liquor is in a desperate situation. He cannot be reasoned with or persuaded to deny himself the indulgence. His stomach and brain are diseased, his willpower is weakened, and his appetite uncontrollable. The prince of the powers of darkness holds him in bondage that he has no power to break. Those are Ellen G. White comments in the SDA Bible Commentary. Volume 3 on page 1162. Proverbs 23, 1 through 8 says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, 
Consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten, shalt thou vomit up, and lose thy sweet words. What reasons did you hear advising you to control your appetite? This admonition is about more than table manners. The biblical text is a warning to those who like to eat and who have great appetites. Proverbs 23.2 The metaphor of putting a knife to one's throat is particularly strong. It not only means curbing the appetite, but also suggests the risk to your health and even your life that could be represented by food. The Hebrew word bin, translated consider carefully, expresses the idea of careful discernment between various kinds of food. The same word is used by Solomon when he asks for wisdom to help him discern bin between good and evil. 1 Kings 3.9, New King James Version The inspired writer has more in mind than just the issue of appetite control. His counsel may also concern banquets and social drinking. Proverbs 23.3, New King James Version When you are pressured and tempted to desire his delicacies. Do you know anyone whose life has been destroyed by alcohol? Is that example alone enough to help you understand why you should never put that poison in your body? Responsibilities Ezekiel 33.8 New King James Version When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. What basic spiritual principle is revealed? Does this verse say anything to you about your influence and responsibility to tell someone what God is directing you to say to them? How would you apply this concept to your life? Years ago, in a big western city, a woman was being attacked at night on a street. She cried out for help. Dozens heard her, yet not one even bothered to call the police. Most people looked out the window and then went back to whatever they were doing. Soon the woman's cries stopped. Later she was found dead, stabbed numerous times. Were the people who heard her cries but did nothing responsible for her death? Though they hadn't attacked her themselves, did their inaction kill her? Proverbs 24, verses 11, 12, and 23 through 28 offer important messages. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? 
and he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse. Nations shall abhor him, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon them. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. Prepare thy work without, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. What important messages did you hear? The law of Moses clearly warns that those who fail to report what they witness will bear guilt. Leviticus 5.1 We may not be able to act against crime, but if we keep silent about what we see, we then share the guilt with the criminal. By our silence, we become accomplices. On the other hand, if we report the truth in our testimony, giving the right answer, Proverbs 24.26, we respond appropriately and behave as responsible people. This act is compared to a kiss on the lips, meaning that the person cares about the other one. It's tragic enough to remain silent and do nothing as a woman is being murdered on your street. But what about many of the other evils in the world? Hunger, war, injustice, racism, and economic oppression. What are our responsibilities? Let's continue exploring. Souls around us must be aroused and saved, or they perish. Not a moment have we to lose. We all have an influence that tells for the truth or against it. I desire to carry with me unmistakable evidences that I am one of Christ's disciples. We want something besides Sabbath religion. We need the living principle and to daily feel individual responsibility. This is shunned by many. And the fruit is carelessness, indifference, a lack of watchfulness and spirituality. The reference for those words is Ellen G. White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 99. In her book, Our High Calling, on page 20, she says, Talk faith, live faith, cultivate love to God, evidence to the world all that Jesus is to you, magnify his holy name, tell of his goodness, talk of his mercy, and tell of his power. What are ways that you could build up your faith in God's Word, the Bible, and what it teaches? Someone wrote, Remember two things, Christ died for you, and you will one day die. In the context of our responsibility to live and tell the truths found in God's Word, and how the Bible teaches that we will have to answer for sin one way or another, 
What crucial lessons should we take away from this thought? Remember the quote that was put on the buses in London? There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. In addition to what this exploration talked about, what other problems do you find with that sentiment? Why would God's existence be something that would make people worry to begin with? What does this sentiment tell you about how well Satan has distorted the character of God in the minds of many people? How would you respond to that slogan? Can you come up with some slogans that could help people see the hope that you have in God? Today, will you redefine your friends' and your co-workers' opinions by revealing God's true character, by your loyalty to Him, and by speaking in His behalf? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.